So, Dave, we're deep into the semester. How's it going? Great. You've been busy on Wednesday nights at 8 o'clock? Yep. Co-hosting Music Biz 101 and more with you. Who have our guests been? Indie artist and alum Lauren Marsh, PR guru George Dassinger, Rosie Lopez, president of Tommy Boy Entertainment, and Adam Kornfeld, Rod Stewart's booking agent. I miss them. Is there any way I can still hear their words of wisdom? Sure. Every show becomes a podcast that you can hear on our website, musicbiz101wp.com, or on the Stitcher mobile app. And it's all free. Who's coming up next? Grammy-winning producer Harry Wanger, Warner VP Dan Goldberg, Sean Rosenberg, the engagement director at Huge. Oh, that's big. (laughs) I get it. The guests keep getting better and better. Our listeners, too. That's Music Biz 101 and more every Every Wednesday Wednesday at 8 p.m. Only on 88.7 WPSC Brave New Radio. We are listening to Music Biz 101 and more on Brave New Radio 88.7 on your FM dial. We're listening to Ally Mac Project. The world is ours. I am your professor, David Kirk Phelps. Yes! We're back. Yes, we are we back. We are back. We had a week off. That's right. That's Dr. Stephen Marconi talking. Yes, Say hey. I am. And, uh, okay, and we have Sam Lowry here also. On my right, Sam is our uh, student guest of the week. And then we also have on the other side of the glass. Of the glass, we have there is Philip Gorkovsky. Philip Gorkovsky, how are you, Philip? Philip's doing very well today. Uh, Wait, I, have said, a, I have a mic today. I forgot I have a mic today. Uh, yeah, speaking of the right. mic, be, right. don't be afraid. <laughs> Philip Gorkovsky, producer, student, Sam Lowry. Music Biz 101. Find us on the web, musicbiz101wp.com. We have a great newsletter. It comes out every Sunday at 6 p.m., and that's Eastern Standard Time. And you should sign up for that for all the great information. You can tweet us questions now for our guest at MusicBiz101WP. You can find us also on Facebook and uh, Instagram, same address, at MusicBiz101WP. And, of course, you'll be able to listen to this show and all of our shows on the Stitcher Radio app, which is your mobile application. We should finally mention, then we can go to other things. The only This is the only free advice college radio music and entertainment business talk show and podcast in todas. Las Americas. Music Biz 101 and more. Stephen Marconi. So what did you do on the break? While I was on break, I had a great meeting with our friends at Warner Music Group, and then I went to Texas. Wow. All my exes. Live in Texas. That's right. And uh, everything is bigger in Texas, including their plates, Sam Lowry. Their plates are very big. And I went to a music business educators convention and learned everything you need to know about Austin, Texas, post South by Southwest. And did you participate? Not in South by Southwest. No, but at the MIA convention? At the convention, it's for MIA Music and uh, Entertainment Industry Educators Association, M-E-I-E-A, and did a presentation about the failures of the Beatles for between 17, 19 months in the 1968 to uh, 69. The Beatles uh, managed themselves, Mm -hmm. and they did everything wrong. And so I gave this presentation to a number of educators. Actually, the room was completely full, which surprised me. It was the first presentation of this whole shebang. Room was completely full, talked all about the Beatles. It was great. great. It was very good. Had a lot of fun. And you went to Mexico City. Yes, I did. Mexico City. I was on spring break. So you took spring break while I worked. Yes. Well, good exactly. for you. Well, exactly. you have tenure and I don't. Ah. So 
That's so who is our guest tonight? Our guest tonight is Joanne Kelsey, who mm-hmm. is the vice president of administration and publishing for Razor and Tie uh, Music Publishing based in New York City. And Sam Lowry knows all about them because he is an intern there. Aren't you, Sam? Yeah, I'm interning them in their publishing department. It's a great time. Everyone's real nice. You get to learn all the stuff they do. It's a real good experience. Do you want to give us a little lowdown about what Razor and Tie is? Probably a lot of people don't know anything at all about the Razor well, and Tie. Razor and Tie itself, so it has a label, and they have a lot of different writers, and they also have a publishing company attached to that, and they manage all their writers. They have all the publishing for them. They also work with Kids Bob, so they they run that whole thing. Mm -hmm. It's all really cool how everything works together. That's great. Kids Bob, what number is out now? Oh, man, it's too many to count. I think we're like in the 30s or something. 30,000. Maybe Joanne on though. Yeah. And, and we, in fact, uh, our guest is on the line. Joanne Kelsey, come on down. Woo! Woo! Joanne Kelsey, Joanne Kelsey. Joanne, can you hear us? Hello. Yes, Joanne. Oh, uh, now we're getting you. We hear you. You sound great, Joanne. <laughs> great. <laughs> Far away, but you do sound great. <laughs> All right. Thank you for joining us, Joanne. All right, Joanne. Yeah. So, long time no see. I know. You now are yeah. mother of two? Yep. Wow. Yep. And still able to juggle the music business career. That's wonderful. Oh yeah, it's uh, it's hectic, but yeah, it's it's uh, it's fun. Great. So you started. Um, let me think back. You graduated here, of course, but you were an mm-hmm. intern at Naris. Yep, I, I interned at Naris in New York City um, in two thousand and one. Wow. Okay, and then you came back and you finished your, got your degree, mm-hmm. and you started at EMI, if I remember? No, 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 but you got me hooked up with a job over at Columbia Artist Management. Oh, that's right. Yes, Cammy. Yes, and um, I worked there for a very short amount of time because my dream job was always to work at Harry Fox, mm-hmm. and <laughs> so um, I was trying to really get an in over there, and I finally got the in because I was working uh, part-time there while I was actually at William Patterson doing a, a project for them where I was uh, looking for lyrics online. Mm-hmm. So I was I was helping them with that. So I actually knew people over there, but they just there was just no job opening. So then I finally got the, the job at Harry Fox. So I left Cami, went to um, Harry Fox Agency, stayed there for a three years, and then went over to EMI, mm-hmm. with the mechanical licensing over there. Um, and I was there for three years, I believe, three or four years. And then I went into New Jersey, and I worked at PUTM Entertainment um, in New Jersey for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, had my baby, uh, stayed home with her for 10 months, and then went back to New York Every Eastern Time Music Publishing, which is where I always wanted to be in publishing. That was my end game. Great. And you started at what position there? At um, well, I, I mean, I've always been the head of the of the publishing administration and licensing department, uh, but started out very small. So I started out as manager there mm-hmm. with no staff, and um, uh, I just gradually. The company was growing a lot, and so I gradually got staff under me, um, and I went to senior director, and then I went to VP, but, you know, they're just titles. 
<laughs> so, right. you know, it's, but it's fun, yeah. But I'm still the head of the department. It's just grown so much under the company itself. It's yeah, but, so much. They, when did they pick up the kids' bop? Did they, did they always have that? So razor and tie the label. I I don't really work with 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 the kids' bop. The right. razor and tie the label. Um, it was a partnership with kids' bop, but then um, they just recently bought kids bob outright so now they're 100 percent owners mm-hmm. wow okay so yeah. a day in your life is like what a day in my life is basically i come into work early um, very early to get a lot done and i process um agreements um uh, and i let my staff know about the, the different kind of writer agreements that we have and then I help my staff with getting songs into our system and royalties um, processed and a whole slew of, of all admin type stuff. I'm not a creative. I do all things to do with royalties, mm-hmm. copyright, publishing, administration. Mm-hmm. Okay, so um, the advent of streaming... And the, uh, I guess, breaking the penny up even further has produced mm-hmm. more work for you or what? Um, no, not really. I mean, it's very hard to patrol how much, what's going on, and, and if everybody's paying us and if they're paying us correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, we get, the, we get the statements, we process them. It's just a lot of analyzing and making sure that Spotify is paying us on certain songs that we know we should be getting paid on. Mm-hmm. And it's very hard. We don't know. There's no way of knowing if you're getting paid properly. Uh-huh. So that's that's a, frust- a very frustrating part of everything. Yeah, we know it's still no man's land out there when it comes to um, .06 or, uh, uh, you know, a, a stream or whatever. It's... it's uh, there's so many different variables out there that mm-hmm. e- even the guys doing it, we're finding out, Dave and I, that they don't really even know uh, what's going on. Yeah, it's 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 very very complicated. Uh, there's a lot of um, if you go on the HFA's website, you can look up the rate for streaming, and there's so many different models on how they pay out the statutory rate. Mm-hmm. Um, Based on uh, subscribers, if you're a paid service, or if you're, um, you know, you know, all the different kinds of services, and it's it's very, very, very complicated. Mm-hmm. It, I, I mean, I still have a hard time wrapping my brain around it, and I've been in it since since day one. You right. know, and sure, sure. Okay, is there a question? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Sam is going to ask you. We have a lot of tweets, and we'll go back and forth between us and, and the tweets, but we do have a tweet question for you. All right, we got a tweet okay. question from Fast Jimmy C. I've never completely understood the publishing concept. How would you explain what music publishing is to the average Joe? Sure. So, um, music publishing is um, multifaceted. It could, it's, it, there's creative parts of music publishing where you sign to a music publisher, and you and they uh, help your career. They'll set you up with writer, other writers. They'll pitch your songs to artists so that they get played. Um, there's TV and film departments within publishing companies, and they'll pitch your songs to um, 
music supervisors to try to get your songs placed in TV or film or even ads that are on the Internet. Um, and then there's the, the actual money aspect of it where you, you, you're, you're getting your money. You're, it's coming in through different sources, the PROs, which are basically pay, paying you for the music that other people hear. Um, so the public performances, so that goes through to your publisher, and then the mechanical rights and the and the sync rights that'll come through to your publisher, and then you take your cut, basically. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because you you had brought up a, a little while ago about when you look at the streaming revenues that come in and how difficult it is for you to determine if you're being paid properly. And mm-hmm. um, everybody I've spoken with, especially, for example, we have on staff, did you know Aaron Van Dyne when you were here? No, he wasn't when, around yet. There was, uh, you were here before. When did you graduate, William Patterson? I graduated in 2001. Oh, one. Okay, yeah. so he was after that. Aaron um, is the business manager for Three Doors Down, uh, Dave Matthews Band, Kiss, uh, big bands like that. And mm-hmm. um, he has shown us statements, for example, from the pros, the performance rights organizations. And mm-hmm. just like with the streaming revenues, he's found it very difficult f- to determine, you know, how you're getting paid. He, they get a check, but they really don't know. Is, is it um, that difficult for you as well on the pro side? Yes, it is. Um, you never know because you don't know what their rights their rates are, what they're getting paid, you know, what their royalty rates are. There's, there's a lot of, you know, there's not, not a lot of that information is public. So you don't know. And then you kind of have to just go by experience. Like you have to kind of compare statements from if I have a song that has two of my writers on it and one's a CSAC writer and one's an ASCAP writer, I'll go and I'll look and I'll see, well, how much did this person make for this use and how much did this person get for this use? And I'll see if it's around the same. And, you know, if it's not, then I'll call up one of the PROs and I'll be like, hey, you didn't pay as much as this one. You know, pay up, that kind of thing. But, I mean, my main concern when I'm looking at those statements is if we got paid. If I know that a, a, a song got used in on a TV show, I'm looking for that air date, you know, and making sure that we got paid for it. And if a song's being used on the radio and it went number one, um, I know that we're supposed to be getting a lot more money, and, you know, I try to figure out a little formula. I mean, it's not 100%, but it works most of the time. So, you know, it's kind of like that. But none, it's, it's, all, it's, it's all a mystery. You just kind of have to guess and just hope that they're, they're paying you enough. And being an independent publisher, sometimes you, you do feel like, you know, you're not getting paid anywhere near as much as you would have gotten paid if you were a, a major can you explain to our listeners the structure of the publishing world? For I think most people know the major labels. They know Sony, Warner, Universal Music Group. But on the publishing side, it seems that it's it's not as sexy a business. Can you kind of talk about who the major publishers are, where you guys fit in there, and compare it then to where the DIY listener would fall in the publishing world? Yeah, sure. So um, you've got your major publishers who, oh yeah, it's a big blur. It's um, Universal, um, it's uh, Universal EMI now. It's Sony and Warner Chapel. Goodness. Warner, yeah, and that's kind of it. And then you've got, you know, th- th- then you've got your high level um, ones that are not quite 
considered majors, but they're still very, very big, like BNG Rights Management, um, Peer, Songs Music Publishing. Is Cobalt in that? Cobalt, range. yeah, yeah. I mean, they're 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 big, but they're they're just it's it's very hard to ex- like explain to. But it's uh, Cobalt's more of an administrating company, mm-hmm. so Cobalt will administer smaller publishers. So Cobalt like administers Doctor Luke's publishing company. So Doctor Luke does all the creative stuff, and that's uh, prescription songs. Mm-hmm. But they'll go and they'll administer for him to do all of the you know the back-end business stuff that I'm, I do. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and then, um, and then you know, we're kind of, I'd say we're mid-level independent. We're, you know, we, we do well. You know, we have number one, some number ones and stuff. And then, you know, there's people who just publish their own stuff and just take in, you know, they've taken the money from the PROs and handle their own stuff. Uh, uh, but when you have a publisher, a publishing company, with experienced staff on it, you've got people that will be setting you up on co-writes and pitching your songs to artists, and that's you know, and, and, and pitching your songs for sync, and that's that's what we do, and that's where like being a small, being with a smaller company like us, we pay a lot of attention to our writers, and, and we do them a really good service, and uh, set them up with really really cool co-writes, and you know, get very very. Very good syncs. We have a very good sync team. Very strong. Now, most successful uh, songwriter artists, of course, own their own publishing company uh, mm-hmm. today, but they administer through because they don't want to do the paperwork and they can't come out and find out that um, I don't know. Let's say Brittany needs one more song for her album or whatever, and that's where you guys come in, right? That you do right, not only yeah. do administration, but you're also out there seeking different opportunities for even some very successful artists, yep, songwriter yep, artists. Yeah, the creative department gets, um, you know, most wanted lists and things like that, and they're constantly, like, their ears to the ground. They're constantly going to um, to the labels and meeting with the labels, finding out who, who, who needs what, and, you know, trying to, to play songs for them and matching them to some of our writers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it's kind of like the old-fashioned song plugging. Yeah, you're yeah. you're act you're knocking on doors and you're trying to get get your songs placed. Actively. Yeah, and and that's still very much the case in Nashville. Nashville, I mean, they, they, that's what they do down there. I mean, yeah. they're just, it, you know, they have song plugging groups where they all play songs for each other. It's mm-hmm. it's 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 really cool. Mm-hmm. 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 Well, well, you guys again. Now, so we talked about the structure a little bit. You know, we go from the super high to you guys are um, on the high mid range level. Then you have we just talked about you could do it yourself, which we might get into in a bit. But talk about the structure of Razor and Tie because you just mentioned your Nashville division. Talk about the differences between New York, L.A., and Nashville for you guys. Yeah, so New York, I mean, it's basically headquarters. It's where most of our team is. Um, then we have. We just actually bought a building in Nashville and opened it up about a week and a half ago. Wow! Um, over by the convention center because we were previously we had a space over on Music Row, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and we got out of the row and we got we we have a nice building now with a lot of studio space. Uh, we have a uh, head of well, we have a, a creative guy down there, um, Brad, who just joined us, and uh, Brad Kennard. And uh, 
He does all the creative for Nashville, and then we have Ross Ross down there too. He's he's uh, creative, but he's kind of switching out over to LA now. And um, we have in LA we have a creative as well. Her name's Andrea. She's um, so she does more of the pop stuff. And um, we have a sync uh, woman out there named Courtney who does who does the sync the sync pitching out in LA. So she she actually gets all of our Nashville placements because she's from Nashville and she has her foot in the door over there. Mm-hmm. So we have a lot of songs on the on the show Nashville. In, in fact, at ten o'clock tonight, if you watch Nashville, you'll see one of our songwriters, Philip Larue. He's going to be on there because he has he has a song on there, on Nashville, and we have a few other songs on there as well. Mm-hmm. So if you tune in, there's actually a, a, our writers are going to be uh, profiled on there because it's uh, it's called on the record. Now, could you define for us? You, you've mentioned um, I think you mentioned Brad is your guy in Nashville, who's the creative guy. Mm-hmm. Can you explain what you mean by that? A and R artist and repertoire. You know, he's the one that's going out there and. Um, helping our writers decide, you know, what they want to write and helping to develop them and putting them in with other writers that are not necessarily our writers, but other writers that are going to help them write a good song. Um, and then they go and they, uh, they pitch the songs. Mm-hmm. That's kind of, that's what our creative staff does. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because we have another grad, Todd uh, Kip- Schifrin. Todd Schifrin, who uh, works for Missing Link Publishing yes. mm-hmm. in Hoboken. Mm-hmm. And um, they're structured slightly differently from you. You seem like you're the traditional publisher, and this is not bad at all. That you're, You follow the traditional model where you guys are uh, signing writers, developing writers. You have an A&R staff. You're uh, helping them grow, and obviously you're going to uh, reap the rewards should they have hits with any of their things and you're doing the, we talked about the, the song plugin, trying to get placements They're, on the other hand, more of the admin type of company. They're waiting for an artist to get a hit and then they're going mm-hmm. out and they're basically bidding with other publishers to administer that person's publishing. Could you kind of talk about those different worlds and, and do you have any idea why you guys are in one and others are focusing elsewhere? Well, I mean, we do a little bit of that too. I mean, I, that's that's where I, that's my job. I'm also adminning other writers that you know it's, they're just straight admin deals. Um, when you get a lot more invested in a writer, um, where where we're doing with these writers, there's different kinds of deals. We, we get ownership of the song, so that's more valuable to us. So we have with, with the writers that we're really you know investing a lot of our energy and time into. Um, those are what are called co-publishing deals, where they assign mm-hmm. over fifty percent of the ownership of, of their of their song to us. Mm-hmm. And um, we also have some deals because in, in Nashville, they're, they're, when you have a, what we call baby writers, um, we, we get a full pod deal where we, we get a hundred percent publishing ownership of a song. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's where our creative team really, you know, gets their you know, elbows deep, elbows deep into it, you know, and really just, just work with our, our writers a lot. And then we do have traditional, like, admin deals where we have these writers that um, we we admin their songs um, and we collect the money 
and we'll put them in. Obviously, there these are usually. I think normally, if a writer is more accomplished, um, they're going to lean more towards wanting an admin deal. When a writer is more right. looking to be developed, you're going to end up more in the co-pub deal or even a full pub deal. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have some admin deals that we're creative with with a lot of our admin deals where we say, okay, we're going to admin you for you know these songs that you know you're coming in with and any songs that you write while you're in term with us. However, if we set you up with a uh, another co-writer that you've never met before and your song becomes a big hit or, you know, there's certain terms of, of how it works, but we'll then get co-publishing on that song and we'll get a piece of that song. But admin deals, the reason, you know, an admin deal is an admin deal is you're getting a smaller amount of the of the money that comes in. Mm-hmm. You're taking 10% and you're giving 90% to the writer. In co-pub deals, you know, you're, you're taking... You're taking 25%, sometimes 20%, sometimes, you know, depending on the deal. Uh, co-pub deals, you advance money to the writers. So they get a monthly check, full-pub deals, too. In um, admin deals, they don't always get an, ad- an advance. They're getting media lump sum advance in the beginning and, and then whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. But uh, with the admin deals, you know, they're, they're just getting, they're getting their money straight, straight to them. Uh, co-pub deals, we're, we're investing more money in them, too. We pay for their demos. We pay for their travel, um, you know, mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. So that's kind of the difference between the three different kinds of deals that we work work on. And if you're doing uh, a, a deal like that and you're uh, giving them advances, that's obviously all recoupable, correct? Same with travel, yeah. expenses, all that. Yep. We, we put it all against their account, and that's kind of where I get involved. I keep track of all that, and... Um, and when they make the money, yeah, it goes it recoups up against their account. Mm-hmm. Are you they're most, still getting their monthly check? Are you mostly dealing with managers or writers directly, or both? Um, and which I do you prefer? Most, to... Yeah, that's kind of my um, Saren, who's the head of the publishing company. He's he and any of the creatives. Whenever a deal comes to them, it's mostly through managers. We don't. We don't usually mm-hmm. take like unsolicited writers that you know just send us an email, say, "Hey, listen, my stuff." It's <laughs> usually through a manager or through a re- some kind of relationship. Mm-hmm. Which is which is interesting. I purposely brought that up because there are lots of people listening who are going to go, "Oh, I'm just going to send Joanne my stuff." So, you, so <laughs> it's, it's good to be clear that you are not to be deluged right after this with a thousand no, emails. No. About your, <laughs> and, I, and again, I'm, I'm not a creative, so right, no, <laughs> no. <laughs> I ha- I'm making a face. I had a great follow-up, and it just went away. Ah. <laughs> I won't blame you, Joanne, for that. Sorry. <laughs> uh, he- here's one, uh, a tweet for you. We have a question from Tom Riccoboni. Can't catch the show, but I have a question. If you are just starting to make m- music seriously, is it better to self-pub at first? Um, is there another option? How about that, too? Well, I mean, always. If you're making... Music, you should always affiliate yourself with a PRO, and then you should always make your own publishing company. Um, and you know, just you know, just in case. But if you're, you know, if you're playing gigs and you know, getting a lot of interest, then you would, you know, try to get a team together for your, yourself. I'm starting with a manager. You know, the manager is the one that's supposed to be looking for your representation when it comes to publishing. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, we have. Uh, can we talk about arranging for a moment? Okay. Be- be- just because uh, both of these. Uh, we're, uh, Sam is going to read two tweets to you because this is written to you from a an arranging major in the jazz master's degree program here. Okay. Okay. This is from Tona Vaz. Why the arranger who has less rights, and why is the artist manager's labors do not pay royalties to the arrangers rather than just the arrangement? Did you? He, he's he's uh, Spanish, so he has. There's a slight language thing there, but basically, in terms of arrangers versus songwriters, if I take, let's say, I take a song, even if it's a public domain song, and I put my mm-hmm. own arrangement to it, am I allowed to copyright that song um, as if yep. it was my own song? Can you kind of get into the whole arranging thing and? Yeah, yeah, you can totally copyright it. If it's a public domain song and you make your own arrangement. We have the Piano Guide. That's one of our, our, uh, our admin yours. accounts. And they arrange, they also arrange songs that are not in public domain, right. and we do, not, we do not publish any of that. That all goes to whomever it was that, that wrote the song. Mm-hmm. Um, but they do arrangements of classical songs, Mozart, Bach, you know, uh, Mm-hmm. So yeah, we get we actually do get the you know we do get, get the writing credit and we do put you know register it with the PRO. Uh, some with the piano guys though because they're so specialized in doing that like that's their that's their thing. You know there there, there could be different rates that like you end up getting because it's a PD arrangement. Uh, you know, in your in your agreements or stuff, so we don't always get the, the full statutory rate on it, but but we still do get the money for that, and it, it is a mechanical license that I have for those. Did you say at the beginning of this we were we brought up Kids Bop, and mm-hmm. you you have nothing to do with Kids Bop, or you do have something to do with? I that? do not really have much to do with Kids Bop. I'm I mean I'm. I'm around it. <laughs> kids love it, <laughs> but but no. I mean, kids pop. I mean, I I know enough about it where you know if you need, need to if you have a question about it, I could probably give us yes an answer because in our in our uh, survey of the music and entertainment industry class today, we were talking mm-hmm. about kids pop and how your company Razor and Tie manu- uh, basically doing cover versions of popular mm-hmm. songs. Mm-hmm. Um, how you would license get the rights to do those songs. Could you kind of explain that process? I mean, you know, compulsory licensing and all that kind of go, go through. And the second part of that is what if somebody needs to change the words to a song? Okay. Yeah. So, um, usually when you're changing the words to a song, you'll send the word, the lyrics out to the, when you're getting the mechanical license. I'm not exactly sure if that's what, um, what, what Adam does, who does, who covers our mechanical licensing for, for kids bop. But uh, uh, he, he definitely, he, it's because it's already been used, the song's already been used, so that's first use. But you don't need to get permission to actually reuse the song. Um, so then you just reach out to the publishers or through Harry Fox Agency and you get your statutory license. If a publisher refuses to grant the license to you, you do go through the compulsory licensing process, which is, you know, filing through the, you know, filing through the copyright office, a compulsory license. Mm-hmm. Um, and explain what that does. Uh, it, it allows you to, to still use the song, even though you can't get the mechan- the actual... I mean, a mechanical license is, is basically a negotiated agreement. Um, usually it's a, 
you're it, it's instead of getting the compulsory. Right. But a compulsory license is something that you can just get, you know, through the, the copyright office. You just you there's a process that you go through. I haven't done it in years, and it's changed so much since I've done it. So mm-hmm. I'm not I I can't really tell you if you know the right way of doing it right now. But you're basically you're sending a notice of intent to use the song to the publisher, and you pay them. Mm-hmm. You pay them the statutory rate. Right. And it'll probably go to the Harry Fox agency, right? No, it doesn't. It doesn't. This, when, when you get a compulsory license, it's not through the Harry Fox agency. The Harry Fox agency issues mechanical licenses. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? But if you cannot get that mechanical license for some reason, they block the song, it's a Prince song, or, you know, right. many, there's reasons why you wouldn't be able to get um, a compulsory license. They just say, no, you're not doing it. I don't want you to do it. You can still do it. You just have to, it's, it's, it's difficult. It makes it more difficult. You have to account on a different basis than how you would normally account to the, the, right, the, the publishers. And it would, so be on, uh, it would be on the second recording of a song. Yes, you, can, you cannot get a compulsory license on a first recording. First use is, is um, not part of a compulsory license. Mm-hmm. You have to get permission for that. Okay, so let's give give an example so um, people could kind of see this in a linear way. Take mm-hmm. um, uh, you brought up Prince, "Purple Rain" by Prince. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's obviously been out there since 1984. My band gets together, we do our own version of "Purple Rain." We don't change the lyrics mm-hmm. or anything. It's it's. This, and by the way, we're also t- we're talking about the the song. We're not talking about a master recording. We're talking about the song itself, the underlying mm-hmm. song. Mm-hmm. So the band gets together, we record "Purple Rain." We're going to put it on our new. CD. Uh, Mm -hmm. We're allowed, correct me if I'm wrong at any point in this, we're allowed to do this as long as we file, we can first go to the Harry Fox agency and say, hey, we're uh, putting Purple Rain on our new record, Um, this is for sale, um, and we're going to pay you the statutory rate. And you're saying that Harry Fox, then they're going to go to somebody, to Prince's publisher, and... and, I believe it's Universal. Okay, and Universal might come back and say, "No, you can't do that." You're said they That's they will do that. They will say that they they will say, "I will not license. I will not issue you that mechanical license because Prince does not want people covering his music." Okay, but and uh, I'm, sorry, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I'm, but I'm saying, but but we are still allowed to do so. The law still allows us to do this as long as we still pay, pay the the statutory, uh, the statutory rate. rate. So then, Plan B is what you said will go directly to the published universal publisher. We'll make sure when we sell this that we're putting money aside to pay them. 9.1 cents is statutory rate, 9.1 cents times, however many units are sold. And we'll mm-hmm. still pay the publisher. And You're saying file a notice of intent to the publisher, or, or was it to the copyright you office? File a, you, you file the notice of intent to the the, um, the publisher, and I believe you, cop- you sent a copy to the copyright office as well again it's been a very long time since i've done it Mm -hmm. and then um and then you send accountings to universal music it used to be on a monthly basis which which was which was very discouraging you you really didn't you know to have to remember to account to somebody uh, on a monthly basis for a lot of songs was was very discouraging it it was a pain Mm -hmm. um but you know you just did it because that's you were you know did it so uh yeah then you would uh and you would that you're, you're legal to do that it's fine you're that's the way you do it whether or not they turn the money away that's their their issue i don't know it's it, they're very difficult about it but you just do it 
But if you were to change the lyrics, for example, Nelly, I think it was mm-hmm. Nelly had the song. Um, there's a Honey Nut Cheerios commercial now, and it's it's his song. He's in the commercial, but um, shoot, I can't think of the song right now. Um, but if you if I was to do a version of Purple Rain and I changed all the lyrics to the last verse, now it's it's a different song. I've changed the song, and that's where he can legally say no. Correct? Yeah, it's, yeah, correct. I, I believe it's a derivative. I'm not. sure. Sure, though. I mean, there's a fine line between derivative and parody, mm-hmm. and, and mm-hmm. you know, it gets very confusing. And uh, but it's always best to ask for, for permission when you're when you're changing something. Okay, which you bring up parody brings up Weird Al into, into mm-hmm. the uh, occasion, which I I've, I've heard that in the past that some the Weird Al has through the parody clause of. I forget where that that is, but he is allowed to do that. But he does usually go and fair get use. permission. Yeah, yeah. oh, the parody portion too. of fair use—that's right. what it is, right? Yeah, yeah, he does. I mean, that's what I've heard too. Again, it's, I, I've heard it, so I, I can't confirm or deny it. But yeah, I, I believe he does do, do get he does get this permission for that. Can you send him a text right now, Joanne? <laughs> Just reach out. Unfortunately, to... I cannot. <laughs> so, do you have an opinion on the recent blurred lines decision? Um. I do. I do have an opinion, <laughs> and it's. I think it's ridiculous. I think. Um, I think they the had club. every. <laughs> yeah, I think. I think they had every every. They, they can't copyright a feel of a song, so. Mm-hmm. I, I don't believe that it, it was. I, I believe they should appeal, and I believe that they should be okay. But we'll see what happens. Right. Well, I think it was strange, uh, and I'm not an attorney, obviously, that the judge forbid the listening of the material, but just went on the lead sheet that was originally um, filed by Marvin Gaye, which mm-hmm. was, you know, basically chicken scratch. I mean, compared mm-hmm. to what, when you put the two songs together and listen to it, I mean, it's so far down in the in in the record and then trying to say, well, that is a copy, uh, is to, it's just ludicrous to us. Most of yeah. us will think about that. So we'll see what yeah, happens, well, but they really should appeal. I mean, they're going to well, appeal, that's what happens obviously. when you get a jury that doesn't know anything about music, and right. you try to explain that stuff to them. It's like, right. you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. Yeah, yeah. Uh, another tweet question for you. we got a Twitter question from at Teresa Giuliano. Do you think over time getting royalties from music streaming services will become easier? I, I I hope so. Um, I I wouldn't say that getting getting royalties from the streaming services has been necessarily hard. It's just been hard to track. So um, there they all a lot of when a, you when a streaming service becomes big like a Spotify or um, art um, RDO or something like that, they usually will. Right away, try and make sure that everything's, you know, good, good to go. So Spotify, they pay all their mechanical royalties through Harry Fox Agency, um, and then Harry Fox delivers them to us. Where um, RDO, they use a, a company called Music Report, and Music Reports files compulsory license notice of notices of intent to us, and uh, then they pay us. So they use agents to to basically get their compulsory licenses done. 
Mm-hmm. Talk about YouTube, uh, though. We have not brought up YouTube at all, and I think it's important for people to understand that YouTube is a streaming company just like Spotify or RDO, for example. Um, specifically, user-generated content. You guys have had a number of hits, especially on the Nashville side. And mm-hmm. if, if my, our good friend Sam Lowry here on my, my right, your left. Oh, hi, Sam. Hi. <laughs> I oh, didn't you... realize that, that Sam was Sam Lowry. Yeah, but... Oh, sorry about that, yes. Yeah. Uh, Sam <laughs> interns. Answer. Yeah, right. Hi, right. <laughs> <laughs> Here we go. Um, so, so Sam uh, goes into his bedroom after the show and pulls out his harmonica and his guitar and starts doing his version, sitting on the side of the bed of one of your song Nashville songs, for example. Mm-hmm. Talk about how you guys monetize that. Oh no! Then puts it on YouTube. Uh, I'm sorry. Then puts it on YouTube. So right. then, uh, so it's on YouTube and, and everybody can stream. And he starts getting you know twenty five, thirty five, forty five. 100,000 views. Talk about the process that you guys go through to determine if you're just going to monetize it, if you're going to use another service, and also talk about how you discover that in the first place, that he did this. Sure. Yeah. I'm actually, I'm pretty uh, elbow deep in that. Um, so with with uh, YouTube, we have an agreement with them, with Google, and what they do is um, we put our, what's called metadata, which metadata is very, very important in in the music industry now, to have it, it is basically the um, all the information about your song, including what is called an ISRC code, and the ISRC code is the code that identifies your song, your composition, and your rec- uh, well, actually, it's a recording code. It, it it and if you link your composition, you tell them this composition is used on this ISRC code, so a song with this ISRC code then you upload all your metadata over to Google, to YouTube, through a very complicated <laughs> content management system. And um, then they go and they do a lot of fingerprinting technology and match to that ISRC code the, uh, the, the, the actual song recording. They actually do song matching with the audio. And we go and we... Get get money for that because um, with UGC it just you just you just pick up on the money from the ads. I, I'm again this is one of those things that's really really hard to track because you don't know exactly how much money you should be getting. Um, it could be somebody's full time job just working in YouTube. Um, I have a staff of three people <laughs> that are busy doing other things. Mm-hmm. So a lot of companies are actually uh, outsourcing uh, that portion of their. Uh, their business. Uh, there's a few companies that are now starting to to help with with the content management system with YouTube and helping to identify uses that don't get picked up from the fingerprinting technology. So um, uh, there's companies like AdRev and Audium are, are two that come to mind for me, and uh, that's how a lot of the the publishing companies do it. And others actually have in-house staff that they have they have actual departments that deal with just YouTube content. Mm-hmm. So um, there's those, and then there's, the, uh, then there's the official videos, and the official videos, those get actually paid through the record labels. Mm-hmm. They pay me. They pay me for all of that. I mean, like Vivo and, and so on. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. Now, when a video is licensed for YouTube or Vivo, isn't that technically a sync fee? A, a sync license because it is, even though it's a music video, but it's still a pairing 
the song with a moving image. Can you talk yeah, about there's, that? There's, yeah, there's two different kinds of sync licenses. There's the videogram side of things, uh, but now they have the digital, um, the, the digital streaming license. It's it's kind of different. I mean, yeah, it, yeah, it is a sync license, uh, but it's just everything's become so complicated and watered down with the streaming. Um, and then there's the, the regular sync license when they put it in the TV and the, and the movies, which we call sync placements. It's, 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 we just, it's a different kind of license. We use a, a blanket kind of agreement with the majors to pick up the, you know, to pick up the revenue for the streaming because all the fees are different. It's a free market for sync, you know, it's, so you can kind of do whatever you want. But the NMPA, the National Music Publishers Association, kind of worked with the, the major labels to, to get us a, a pretty fair rate on on what we would get for the digital streaming of official videos. Mm-hmm. And that rate's probably higher, you would say, than, and I'm guessing, than uh, from the other, what we were just talking about with the u- user-generated U- content? Yeah, we call it UGC. There's a lot of acronyms in, <laughs> in the yeah. music industry. Yeah, so, um, yeah, it, it, it absolutely is. Um, yeah, because, I mean, it's getting more... It's a better rate, and it's it's you know it's obviously getting more advertising dollars behind it. Um, where the uh, you know the UGC stuff, you know a little bit here, a little bit there. Um, I get a lot of um, disputes with my UGC UGC um, pickups, like you know because you know it automatically detects it and it automatically claims it for me. And there, a lot of people say, oh, it's fair use. Well, they don't really understand what what fair use is because. And I don't know why they're disputing it in the first place. Never dispute a publisher claiming a YouTube video of yours because you're just all they're doing is just monetizing off of your your ad revenue, mm-hmm. the ad revenue. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if you go and you dispute it and you don't understand what fair use is, then you can get a copyright strike against you and you can get your channel pulled down. So don't ever 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 <laughs> dispute. Uh, a, a publisher claim, unless it really isn't theirs. Like, unless it really, really isn't theirs. I, I, it's just a little piece of advice, because you can get your, your channel completely taken down. Well, it sounds like, you know, listening to all these different rates and all these different rules that uh, I should be telling most of the graduates to go to law school, <laughs> because the <laughs> lawyers just seem to be totally blanketing everything that used to be sort of you know, handshaked and so on and so forth when it even came to publishing and, and uh, early recording and so on. But we just I don't know. I don't know about that advice because I did not go to law school. I and, know. Um, and I did not. I, I, I thought about it. I thought about going to law school. And I was like, you know what? I, I want to just kind of learn while I'm going. And, you know, Mm-hmm. And I was cheaper. I was a cheaper employee <laughs> once I got out, and I was more hireable. And you know, and 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 well, that's I true. learned it all. Yeah, that's and true. And I learned it all. And that's myself. fourteen fourteen years ago, though. Yeah, so. but I I hire people straight out of college. Yeah, that's what I do, and I I, I I usually have them intern for me. And if I think they're if I if I have a position available, sure. I, and I think they're really really good, then I'll you know I'll, I'll hire them. That's how every, each one I hire. That's how I usually get them. Mm-hmm. I try them out as an intern first. Right. Well, let's so ask. About, I, can we ask about that from the intern sure. perspective? When you have an intern, you're saying if they're really good. Talk about some of the qualities well, of an intern that really impress you. We have two there now. 
Yeah, we have Sam there <laughs> and, Sam and, and, Megan, and Johnson. Megan Johnson. So we have right. an MBA Megan, student. Megan works in, sync, in the sync department, right? Right, and she's yeah, getting her she MBA. Works. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, we look for people who are really quick to learn, who, um, who uh, you know, obviously catch on very, very, very quickly. Um, don't We like questions being asked, but <laughs> not a million where we have to like explain the same thing over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. Um, I look for someone who's obviously bright and energetic, and you know, willing to willing to work hard because they're young and they should have that kind of energy. Um, and you know, I, I, I kind of just sense it. I always have like a really good feeling when I'm working with someone, and I know that they're good because mm-hmm. they they do the job, they do the job right, and they ask the right question. Mm-hmm. And everybody here talks about, that we have come in, talk about passion, too. That they oh, have to see that passion. Uh, it's it's just not a, a business like selling tires. You've got to have that passion and do anything to, to nurture that passion. To, Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for my department, you know, I'm an admin. So don't, don't apply for a position in admin if you're interested in getting in creative, because mm-hmm. the admin job is not going to be for you. You are not going to like it. It is a lot of detail-oriented spreadsheet work. And mm-hmm. if you want to be in creative, you know, be a creative admin. Don't, don't try to go into publishing admin and copyright and licensing, because you, you probably are not, are not going to like it, and, and, and it'll show. We have a couple minutes before the break. Uh, sort of a, a summing up question. Uh, how, where do you think or what, what's your advice for somebody who wants to make a living writing, being a songwriter? Is it still possible? How can somebody go about doing that? What advice do you oh, have? Yeah, it's um, I mean, move, really not my, my area of expertise. Move to Nashville. <laughs> maybe yeah. that, maybe that's no, it, you know? Ser- no, seriously, I was actually going to say that because, well, I mean, right now in New York, I think they just signed some kind of grants where like if you get some kind of tax benefits if you're a songwriter in new york now Mm -hmm. because you know it used to be a a a creative place but not so much anymore so new york's really really trying to to get back into that Mm -hmm. but yeah i mean nashville is really the place to be everybody knows each other there um you know it's it's inexpensive for now. Um, it's, it's developing very quickly, though. And, um, yeah, it's, 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 it's just the whole environment is music. Mm-hmm. So, so country music, you feel, from your perspective right now, is probably the, the best way for a songwriter to make a living writing country I, I think- songs. I in said Nashville. move to Nashville. I didn't say write country Move to Nashville and write country music. Because a lot of our songwriters that are in Nashville are are not are not necessarily in that country niche. Mm-hmm. They they do write pop music. They do take trips to L.A. They do get cuts on 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 you know pop albums. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you know. Okay, that's I, I mean that, that's great. No, that clears it up a lot because, like I just said, the, the impression would be I have to write country songs, and you said no, that's not necessarily the case. But Nashville mm-hmm. is a place is a hub. But you don't have to be stuck with country. That's great. That's I think that's very interesting. Don't you think, Esteban Marconi? Yes, I do. And I'm very familiar <laughs> with uh, hip, hip hip hop. 
hip hop. Hip hip hop music, yes. Which is uh, hip hop with a country twang. So, Philip, a uh, quick question. Um, we're, I'm going to put you on hold for two seconds, Joanne. Philip, are we wrapping up with Joanne, going to a break, and coming back without Joanne? Yes. Okay. okay. Joanne, it is time for us to say thank you very much. May we thank you now? Yes. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> thank you very much. Joanne Kelsey. <laughs> and this will be on Stitcher very shortly. Yeah, Joanne, we'll have this on uh, the Stitcher mobile app. You'll be able to hear this or you'll be able to go to our website, musicbiz101wp.com, probably in about two weeks and you'll be able to hear this because our wonderful producer, Philip Gorachowski, is going to edit this and make it all perfect. Are you okay with that? Awesome. Yes, that, I am. That's great. So we're going to take a quick break. We will be back. This is Music Biz 101 and more. You've been listening to Joanne Kelsey of Razor and Tie Music Publishing. And Joanne, thank you again one more thank time. You. We'll talk to you again care. very soon. Thank you. All right. Bye. 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 You're a musician, aren't you, Dave? Yes, I am. What instrument do you play? Drums. Well, uh, we'll count that. Wouldn't you love a show on WPSC Brave New Radio at 8 p.m. on Wednesdays that would answer all your questions about how the music business works? Sort of like a Music Biz 101. Exactly. Wait, isn't there a show on at that time called Music Biz 101 and more that brings faculty and students from WP's music and entertainment management programs together with industry guests that take call-in questions and tweets from listeners about the biz? Yep. It's had all last spring and it's starting up again every Wednesday at 8 p.m. right here on 88.7 WPSC. Yes! There were great guests like Steve Lees from Sirius Radio and Aaron Van Dyne, who handles business affairs for KISS, Three Doors Down, Dave Matthews Band, and more. Also, Carl Guthrie, legendary entertainment attorney, and Paul Sinclair, VP of Digital for Atlantic Records. So, Steve, who's lined up for this semester? We have Dave Laurie, who will talk about tour management, Sean Rosenberg, a social media guru, and Sean and Rachel from Blue Raven Entertainment, just to name a few. Wow, sounds great. And it's free. That's right. Free advice every Wednesday night at 8 p.m. live at Music Biz 101 and more on WPSC 88.7 Brave New Radio. If you want to learn about the music industry and you don't know where to go, tune in to WP 88.7 Brave New Radio. We got managers, producers, record labels. Wednesday at 8 p.m. You're listening. You're listening. You're listening. You're listening to Music Biz 101 and more. People trying to listen to Music Biz 101 and more on the WPSC Radio. Music Biz 101. That's right. That was good. You got to admit, Dr. Marconi, what I just did was pretty good radio. Oh, God. And... Yes. <laughs> said he admitted it. He admitted it. I had the rhyme. I had everything. Uh, we want to thank you. Uh, thank Joanne Kelsey, who was just on from Razor Tie Publishing. That was great. We were yes. just talking in the breaks with Sam and Dr. Marconi. Uh, we learned a lot. Yeah, we really did. And it uh, reinforced a lot of things. And it's, that, a, it's a very interesting. And even though she put down the creative side, because uh, she doesn't, she has people at Razor and Tie that are on the serious creative side. But a lot of that administrative thing is creative in a different way. It can be creative in making the deal, in doing the deal, and, and so on and so forth. Uh, so it isn't that she writes the songs or 
or determines which song they're going to accept or not accept. It's that the the aspect of the deal and how much that song is worth to the publisher and how much it's worth to the writer. And uh, writers who need money may want to do a co-publishing deal because they get a uh, you know a stipend or they get money every month so that they're not working at McDonald's uh, versus the administrative deal, which is really a straight deal where you are a writer and you just don't want to do all the paperwork and you have no connections to find someone who wants to, um, you know, that needs a new tune and you're writing a tune that could be perfect for them. And many administration deals, uh, when they go out and search for the song use, they get even more money. They get a little kicker on top of just the paperwork, dotting the I's and crossing the T's. Uh, so it's a, it's really a uh, not only an, a complicated business, but it's a very interesting business as well. Yeah, a lot more interesting than I think people understand. And this is mm-hmm. going to be a very good one for our podcast that we'll be able yeah. to listen back. We have right. a minute left. We wanted to bring up that we had Joanne. This has been the month of March. It's a Women's History Month. Correct. And we have <clears throat> uh, coming to William Patterson on April 7th, Julie Greenwald, who is the COO, Chief Operating Officer of Atlantic Records. So uh, we have some great stuff Atlantic coming Atlantic Records up. Group. Yes, the, the Grupo Atlantico. And uh, we should let you know that next week's show, we have two students who are going to be uh, stars of the show, Enki Bello, who is a Colombian pop harpist, mm-hmm. and Zach Matari, who is a more uh, pop singer and guitarist. They're both going to be uh, guests next week because, Dr. Steve, you are going to be on assignment that's correct. So it will be just Philip Gorachowski and myself and Enki and Zach. And that's actually going to be a good show because they do a lot of things from a DIY and perspective. Zach is back in town. Yeah, Zach's back in town. Uh, Zach has a man. They both have managers and they both have a lot going on that we'll be able to share with a lot of people because mm-hmm. they're, they're really getting it done. So we do need to wrap it up. Do we not, Philip Gorachowski? He. <clears throat> He gives us the nod. So we have been listening to Music Biz 101 and more on Brave New Radio 88.7. Our outgoing music is the Alley Mac Project. The word is ours. We want to thank Philip Gorakovsky for being our producer tonight. We want to thank Sam Lowry for being our wonderful, fine student co-host. Sam Lowry. And you read read good tweets, Sam. Oh, thank you. We want to thank Dr. Stephen Marconi for being who he is every day of the year. Yes, and also, of course, Professor David Kirk. Phil, who you can call Professor David Kirk Phil. Ah. Because the world is ours, everybody. So tune in next week, 88.7 WPSE Brave New Radio, and always go to Stitcher.com, look up Music Biz 101 and more, or our website, MusicBiz101WP.com, and you will find out more and more and more. Until then, we say to you,
thoughts, let me let you know the world is ours. We're taking over.